0: Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the best old-time radio podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast back on the 14th of January in 2019. Hope you enjoy it. It's
1: half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon.
2: I better get it out of the safe now. All right, let's go.
0: Jester, don't, uh, don't 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 track the snow in here no j- yeah yeah get the snow off your boots right right there yeah okay Is it snowing where you are? Probably I understand two-thirds of the country got socked in with snow uh, here in St. Louis we got about 12 inches <laughs> almost putting us in the top 10 for all time. But it really, really snowed. and we were out cleaning off cars and cleaning off some sidewalks and things and Chester just running a little late and just came in. He had snow all over his boots, his big old, big old snow jacket on there, and, and yeah he looks like he's got one of those ski masks you know to keep your face warm. You better unbundle Chester because it's warm in here now. Boy, we've had it. I'll tell you what. If you've had it, I hope you've enjoyed it, because I don't care if I ever see snow again. I mean, it's pretty. I'd love to see it, but I don't like to have to function it. You know what I mean? Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Rowe, and welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the old-time radio podcast, where you can actually hear old-time radio shows you remember from when you were a kid. If you're a baby boomer, and if you're not a baby boomer, that's okay. Come on in anyway, because you'll enjoy these shows as much as we do. Uh, Everybody is uh, lining up over there and uh, grabbing the seats. There's some refreshments over there, some hot coffee, and uh, hot tea. Yes, hot chocolate. Oh, yeah, you have to have hot chocolate on a snowy day, right? And candy canes. Look at that. Chester put candy canes in them. Did you ever do that when you were a kid? Put candy cane in hot chocolate. Oh, yeah, that looks good, Chester. Very nice, very nice. Well, we got a great lineup for you this week. We have an episode of the Mutual Radio Theater that was written by Arch Obler. It's a mystery, and it's a good one. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. We're going to follow that up with an Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet uh, with David and Ricky. Baby boomers definitely remember Ozzie and Harriet, and it's it's a fun episode, and then we're going to finish that up on the streets of Dodge City, Kansas, with a really good episode of Gunsmoke, one that we have never played on Boomer Boulevard, so you can look forward to that. So that's our lineup. It's a good one, and if you just want to get your boots off and hang your coats up, come on back, because we're going to get started in just a minute. Some people have often wondered if uh, radio dramas, the great old time radio shows, could capture the imagination of a modern audience. Well, that was a test that was done back in 1980 on the Mutual Radio Theater, and you can be the judge. The Mutual Radio Theater aired every weeknight on hundreds of mutual stations in 1980. In all, there were 103 original one-hour shows that were produced. This program was no small attempt to just recapture the glory days of radio. No, it was reported that this show had a budget of several million dollars and it involved talent that definitely was worth every penny. Each program was written specifically for radio, including scripts penned by such radio legends as Arch Obler, who we're going to hear tonight, uh, Norman Corwin, Elliot Lewis, and others. The story themselves ranged the gambit of genres. As a matter of fact, Mutual Radio Theater's commitment to variety is evident by how they assigned each night a different genre. For instance, Lorne Green would host Western Nights on Monday. Andy Griffith would follow that up on Tuesday with Comedy Night. Wednesday night was Mystery Night, hosted by Vincent Price. Love and Hate took center stage on Thursday, and that was Cicely Tyson. And on Friday night, it was Adventure Night with Leonard Nimoy as the host. Well, tonight, we have a mystery for you. The name of the production tonight is The Vicious Circle. And this was written by Arch Obler, and it features Fletcher Markle, Mary Jane Croft, and Vic Parrott. It's a good one, and here it comes. (laughs)
3: This is Vincent Price. We bring you a story as close to you as the headlines of tomorrow's newspapers.
4: Now I tell you for the last time, Wendell Whitney is the man. Now believe me. We are talking about the Supreme Court, not a job in the post office. He's a candidate, that's all. One of a dozen. Right, no,
5: best now, best. now, Hold on. Now what are you what are you talking
4: about? The president wants him. Now, that's enough for me and you. Yes, but what do we really know about this man? Very little, very little indeed. The question is, can he stand up under the scrutiny of the opposition, fellas? All the Eastern newspapers are topping Frank Hammond. Hammond? (laughs) He's a senile idiot. If we don't get a younger man into the court, we might as well kiss off all the Western liberal vote the next time around. Now, Lewis here knows
6: everything there is to know about Wendell Whitney. Speak up, Lewis. Tell him. He was the top lawyer in his state, and he's been an outstanding judge of the appellate court for years. And above all, he's got a spotless reputation, and his loyalty to the party is unquestioned. He'll be a credit to every one of you who helped the president endorse him. You heard the man. The
4: president endorses him. I endorse him. Now, what more do
3: you want? When you hear this story titled Vicious Circle, you may say to yourself, Oh, I know where Arch Obler got that idea, but you'll be wrong. Because I know for a fact that playwright Obler started to write this play over 20 years ago and finished it only a few days before this broadcast. So get yourself comfortable, and in a moment, hear the amazing story of Vicious Circle. <laughs>
5: Mutual Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week, brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story, Vicious Circle by Arch Obler. Our stars, Fletcher Markle, Mary Jane Croft, and Vic Perrin.
3: And now the first act of award-winning Arch Obler's play... Vicious Circle.
6: My father once said it. Life is a vicious circle. It begins in the dark of eternity and ends there. And there is no escape. We are in a room in a famous hotel in our nation's capital. Judge Wendell Whitney, handsome face lined with tension... Paces impatiently, up and down, up and down. He is waiting for a word. A magic word. Lewis, come in, come in. Well, what happened? Congratulations, Mr. Justice. (laughs) What's the matter? You're too shocked to speak. (laughs) What happened? Just what we figured. Old Harkness held out a while, but Sprigg and the others kept pounding away on your war record and your party loyalty and your reputation on the bench, and Harris made a speech about the Supreme Court needing young blood and all that, and just like that, Harkness said, Okay, so that was that. Oh, they'll play a little more fiddle do before they officially tell you about it, but you're in, Wendell, and that's a fact. You better start working on your acceptance speech. That's wonderful. Hey... Come on, what's the matter with you? Listen, I'll call for room service, get you a drink, or a dozen... No, no, you... know I don't drink. Oh, sorry, I took one look at your face Wendell, for God's sake, don't you realize what their endorsement means? Every survey, every poll indicates that the party is going to win this year. With a committee backing you up with your personal popularity, with Chief Justice Conbor sick as he is, and the senility of the others... Inside of a year, you could become Chief Justice. Well, it's been a long time coming. Uh, you will answer it, Judge. They've come to bring you the happy tidings. No, please, you go. Okay. Okay. Oh, Wendell.
4: There you are. Lewis has undoubtedly told you, but we're here to make it official. Congratulations, Mr. Justice. Yes,
7: congratulations, (laughs) Justice. Uh, Thank you.
4: (laughs) Thank you, gentlemen. I'm deeply honored. Well, now, uh, shall we adjourn someplace where we can have some friendly stimulants?
8: (laughs) Senator Harris, I hope you'll forgive me, but I would like to go home at once and tell my wife. Oh, of course.
4: Well, the very thing for you to do. There's plenty of time tomorrow for us all to get together. Uh, Gentlemen, our candidate is going home to tell his wife and haven't seen the beautiful Margaret, I'm sure we all understand. Oh, we sure <laughs> know.
6: Can I drive you <laughs> home, Wendell? My car is outside. No, thank you. I brought my own. Uh,
8: thank you again, gentlemen. I'll, I'll see you all tomorrow. All all right, right, we look to forward to seeing you
7: again,
8: Doorman. Oh, yes, Judge. My car. Would you get it for me, please? Oh,
4: it's at the curb, sir. I saw you crossing the lobby.
8: <laughs> thank you.
6: Uh, here you are.
9: Oh, thank you, sir.
6: Hey,
10: Joe. Who's that? Oh, Judge Whitney. What's he running for? President? Oh, better than that. Supreme Court, I
11: think. Now, that's a job. Nobody can fire you. Top money. Lucky guy.
8: What will you say? I know you've been expecting it, but the reality... i going better slow down a bit. <laughs> Supreme Court candidate,
9: Dent Spenders
8: on Washington
9: Street. Got you talking to yourself, Judge? What? Who, who in the devil... You better are... watch your driving, Judge. Don't worry about me. I'm quite comfortable in the back seat. Huh. Why did you have to stop? We can talk while you're driving. Get out
3: of this car. How dare you?
9: (laughs) Well, well, Judge, so you remembered me. hmm? It is you, isn't it? Yeah, I'm flattered. Yes, indeed. I mean, after 10 years and 40 pounds. Mind if I get in front with you, Wendy? We got a little bit of talking to do. Okay, let's go. Drive. you drive good don't you wendy sure everything you do is good all right what is it now say it i've waited for you wendy now you wait for me you want money again all right how much friend, did I tell you you could stop?
8: All right. I've had enough. Tell me exactly what you want or
3: get out.
9: Now, Wendy, that ain't hospitable. Old-time friends like we are, you realize it's been ten years... Get out. Out! (laughs) You see, I'm not even moving, Wendy. I know you're just making a joke. That's the way it used to be. When was it? Ten years ago, you'd get all mad, and then you'd get smart, and we'd get along all right. That's the way it's going to be now, ain't it, friend? Or should I say, Mr. Justice? What are you talking about? Oh, Washington's like a big mouth, and I got big ears. I've been hearing exciting things. President's going to nominate you, ain't he, Wendy? And if he nominates you, that's it, ain't it? I mean, the way things are going... Justice of the Supreme Court? Wendy Whitney of Leeds, Wyoming? Who'd have thought it? Yeah. And who'd have thought you'd be district attorney and then governor? But then, I always was lucky, wasn't I, Wendy? How much? You're asking that question now at the right time, friend. A hundred thousand dollars. A hundred thousand? Does that surprise you, friend? It shouldn't You're insane. I haven't got a fifth of that. Maybe you haven't, Wendy, but you'll get it. Oh, you filthy blackmailing scum. Still got your expensive temper, haven't you, Wendy? Looks like rain. Remember the rain, Wendell? Wet streets. Shut up. No, no. I shut up for ten years, waiting. Just waiting. Now I'm talking. I knew you'd get there. Now you're there, so I can't shut up anymore. I'm giving you 48 hours to get the money. 48. And you'll get it, all right. A man who's going to be a Supreme Court judge has lots of friends with lots of anxious money.
8: 20 years ago, $150 shut you up. Then it was $250. $500. 10 years ago, 1000 And now 100000 What next, Henry? Just
9: tell me. I like you when you talk quiet that way, Wendy. I like it real sensible and businesslike answer me what next when you're like they say on the bench I don't know I'll have to figure it it's always give and take with me you know that you and Margaret Margaret mighty pretty girl she was and is yeah I found out where you lived and I saw her come out of your hotel today. Real pretty woman, Margaret. You know something. I think I like her looks now even better than when she was... plain little Margaret Byerly, the druggist kid. You want to know what else, Wendy? Well, I just got an idea. Back home, Margaret could never see me for dirt. Now, maybe if she changed that, she'll listen to you. Maybe be generous to an old friend. You filthy! I'll kill
4: you! No! Kill you! Wendy. No! Kill you! God! You!
7: You! You!
8: Henry... Henry, dear God.
3: We now return to our play, Vicious Circle. Wendell Whitney, candidate, tells his wife of blackmail and murder.
12: Hello? Yes? Julia, yeah. Oh, yes, I heard the newscast. Isn't it wonderful? No, Wendell isn't home yet. I'm sure he wanted to tell me himself, but the phone's been busy ever since the news flash. Excited? <laughs> I don't know if I'm standing or falling or dreaming. Oh, <laughs> come on, don't you start that. You know, there's a small matter of the actual appointment and another little thing called getting past the Congress. Uh, Wendell? Yes? Oh, Julia, I have to hang up. Wendell just came in. Yes, I'll tell him. Thanks for calling. Bye. Oh, Wendell. Wendell, oh, my darling. It's wonderful, wonderful. Oh, great. Now, that's an unenthusiastic hug. What is it? Well, your face, so somber. Oh, I know. No. The strain you've been under all these hours. Here, sit here. Rest. And then tell me all about it. Yes. If we were drinking people, this is the moment when I'd reach for the champagne. <laughs> you know, I just realized something. If you became justice, and you will, you'll be the first teetotaler on the Supreme Court bench since Douglas. Uh, or was it Justice Holmes? Wendy, aren't you feeling well?
8: Do you... <clears throat> Do you remember when we got married?
12: What kind of question is that?
8: You do remember, don't you? Thursday, that Thursday.
12: Wendell, what is this? Of course I remember. (laughs) Oh, come now. Don't tell me after 20 years the wedding wasn't legal. Wasn't old Reverend Johnson really a qualified minister? Have we been living in sin like an old Tracy Hepburn movie? (laughs) Margaret,
8: stop it. Stop laughing. (laughs) What? that morning on the way to the wedding you remember it was raining hard I was late, driving fast I was coming along the river road and I didn't see she was crossing the road and I hit her I got excited, I, I didn't stop look at me as if I were a madman, I'm telling you the truth twenty years ago on the morning of our wedding I killed a woman you what? I killed a woman. I can't believe I'm telling you, it's the truth. I I hit her. I ran. Mary Foley, don't you remember? Mary Foley. Old Mary Foley. Yes, yes, old Mary Foley. I was the hit-and-run driver. I killed her, and I ran away. But
12: uh But why didn't you tell me then? And why tell me now, after all these years?
8: Because... The years have come back. I don't know what's... That day, there was a witness. Oh. I didn't know then. I found out quickly enough. Who? Henry Bennion.
12: Henry Bennion? So that's why he... Yes.
8: that was part of the blackmail. Calling him my friend, letting him visit us. Part of blackmail? He bled me for ten years. Then he disappeared. Until today.
12: Oh, Wendell, why didn't you tell me an accident 20 years ago? All these years, why
7: didn't you I didn't te-
8: want to talk about it. I didn't want to think about it. These last years, I kept telling myself Henry had died, and that ended it. But it's not ended at all. He's back today. <laughs> of all days, today... Today, all these years working, planning, making arrangements, compromising for what happened today. I'm not going to lose it, Margaret. I'm not going to lose all it. All
12: right, all right, Wendy. We'll pay him. Anything. It'll be all right. Wendy. What else? I killed him. What?
8: His body's down. In the trunk of the car.
12: Oh, God.
5: Wendell? Yes?
12: Your eyes closed? Thinking. Tell me, uh, where are you going? Telephone? Who are you going to phone? The police. No. Give me the phone.
8: Margaret, I've got to call them. No,
12: I won't let you. Who did you kill? A man? No, a nothing. A a piece of filth. You're going to be a justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. The Supreme Court.
8: But I killed Mary Foley. Now him. Who
12: was Mary Foley? Have you forgotten? The town drunk. Your life for that? Wendy, lift your face. Look at me. You're going to be a justice of the Supreme Court. You're the best man for the job. The country needs you. You'll do a thousand things for, for, for millions of people that'll make up for those accidents in a million ways. You're not going to call the police.
13: I told
8: you. His body is in the trunk of my car.
12: All right. We'll wait until it's dark, and then we'll get
10: rid of it.
3: Turn to our story, Vicious Circle. Wendell Whitney, candidate for office in the United States, tries to dispose of the body of the blackmailer.
12: Faster, Wendell. Let's go faster.
8: No. Oh, you're
12: right. We must drive along normally. Naturally. Are you sure you locked the trunk? Yes. Are you sure?
8: I still think I should have left you at home.
12: Must I say it again? You can't do this alone. Please, don't talk about that anymore. I would love you. Do you, Wendell? These last few years, I... I began to wonder.
8: I wanted the Supreme Court for you, too.
12: Oh, I love you so much.
8: Margaret. Yes. What you said before, about it being an accident. That was, and, and this was. Tell me. Wh- I, I didn't mean to kill him. But when he started to talk about you, his, his eyes. I, I hit him. I hit him. He died so easily. <laughs> Wendell? Yes?
12: Oh. I must have fallen asleep. Where are we turning?
8: The marshes.
12: Oh. What if they find...
8: It won't matter. No one knows of him and me.
12: Oh, if you'd only told me 20 years ago, Wendell.
8: If I could only turn back time to just a couple of hours ago. Where are you? Beyond those trees is the water.
12: Oh. How are you going?
8: I'll carry him.
12: Oh, no. Now, wait. Someone will see you.
8: No one comes this way. I'll turn off the lights. So dark. Don't be afraid. I'll be right back.
12: Oh, yes, Please. Clouds scudding over the moon.
8: Lose your way, Mr. Oh. What'd you say? I said you lose your way. Policeman. That's right, lady. What, what, what is it? What's the matter? That's my question.
4: Now, don't tell me you ran out of
8: gas. I, I, I don't know what you mean. Yeah. Well, let me improve your education. There's some foolish people parked here for little parties. Somebody
4: else been coming around here with a knife holding up the lovebirds. So I've been assigned to keep traffic
1: moving. So, get moving. Mister? Now. Of course.
8: (laughs) Margaret, don't. Please.
7: Oh, I...
12: (sighs) I'm just tired, that's all. I'm all right,
14: really.
8: This past hour, I've been thinking about what you said, and it's true. Exterminated vermin, that's all. You knew him as well as I did. Every day of his life was wrong. And I've made up for what I did 20 years ago a thousand times. I'll make up for this, too. Believe me, I will. Oh, I know you will.
12: I i guess that policeman suddenly appearing frightened me more than I realized.
8: You all right now? Yeah, I think so. There's no reason to be frightened. None. I'll get rid of him in Belford Woods, and that'll end it.
12: Policeman stopping
8: us. Oh, for God's sake, stop that. You think there's a policeman in every nook and cranny of the district? What have you been doing all these hours, sitting with your eyes closed? This is open country. There isn't anyone around for miles. All I ask is that you shut your mouth and don't talk anymore. I'm sorry, Margaret. I'm very sorry. What are you staring at?
12: The, the red light.
8: Red light? There's no... No,
12: I saw it against the sky.
8: was there's nothing. See?
12: Look. There.
8: Oh, yes, yes.
12: What is it? Oh, tell me.
8: Fire. Yes, it it must be a forest fire. (gasps) The woods, they must be burning. (laughs) Now, Margaret, stop.
12: You said you'd get rid of him in Belford Woods. (laughs)
8: Margaret, stop. I can't take any (laughs) more. Margaret, quiet. Someone's coming. What? Another policeman.
4: Oh, my oh, End of the line, folks. Oh.
8: I. I don't understand. What, what? Around the bend, a
4: private plane crashed about an hour ago. Set fire to the brush. You have to go back to the junction and detour. Oh. Uh, come on, now, lady. You're safe enough. Oh. Now just head back where you came from. There's no danger. It's, it's all right. She, she's been ill.
7: Thank you, officer. Okay.
12: Wendell. What? We are going back.
8: What? To
12: tell the police. The way you wanted to.
8: Are you out of your mind? Oh,
12: I'm so afraid. I can't help it.
8: Stop (laughs) it. Stop it. You know me. You know I've got the strength. I've always had it. I've got it now. A dead man isn't going to spoil my life. I'll get rid of him.
3: The hours have crawled by, and the body of the blackmailer is still with Wendell Whitney and his wife. Are you asleep? No. We're
8: almost there.
12: Almost there.
8: Driving along this last hour, everything's cleared up in my mind. Everything. Everyone has a secret cross to bear. I'll bear mine, and because of it, do better for... For everyone i'll well, have that chance soon so it'll be all right strange in a crisis you were always stronger than i was just a, a little while just long enough for me to get my bearings and then it doesn't matter that you fall apart because by that time i'm all right
12: Almost
8: there. I keep thinking of that day, the day it rained. I was in such a hurry. I had a crazy idea that if I was late, you might change your mind. There's something else I've never forgotten. The way it sounded when the front of the car hit her. Steel on flesh. Oh, strange the sky is. Darker than dark. Well, we're here, Margaret. In, in a few moments... Get
12: rid of him now. Please.
8: Yes. You stay in here.
12: Where are you going?
8: I have to open the trunk. Oh, uh, I'll only be a minute.
12: Wendell, wait. What is it? I've been thinking... It was it was my fault too. Huh? Well, if, if I hadn't failed you somehow, you would have told me long ago. But I failed you. So you so you kept quiet. I'm to blame. I'm
8: not gonna stand here listening to nonsense.
12: Wendell! What? There's a light coming.
10: What? The light
3: now shut up, please. It's just a boy.
10: Hi. Excuse me. Uh, you got a jack? I got a flat a couple of miles up and I saw your lights and then you stopped and... Hey, mister, am I glad to see you. W- what's the matter? Something wrong? Wrong? W- with your car. You know, I mean, I, I saw you get out and, and go to the back mm, and... Nothing's wrong. Nothing at all. Oh, well, if there is, I just meant I'd be happy to help you fix it. Me, I got problems. You see, my girl and I, we came out here, and she's supposed to be home at no later than 11. I, I know it sounds corny, but I, I really did get a flat. And if you could give me the key to the trunk, I'll get the jack. No, and... I have no jack. Oh. Well, then, could you drive me back to my car and we could pick up Penny? Uh, that's my girl. She's she is scared sitting there in the dark. And if you could drop us off at the next gas station, I could, uh, you, you know, call her folks and, and get squared away. I sure would appreciate your giving us a ride, mister. No. Step away from the door. Oh, mister. Come on, have a heart. We've been waiting for two hours for a car to come along. No, no, no. Go away. I I can't. Hey, wait a minute. You're Judge Whitney. Look, look, I'll hold up the light. You can see. I'm Jimmy Hayes. I'm one of the pages in the Senate. I saw you when you gave that speech. I, I don't blame you for not wanting to pick up hitchhikers way out here, but now you know who I am, okay? Judge Whitney.
8: All right, get in.
14: Row, row, row your boat gently row, down row, the stream. Row, row, row your boat gently merrily, down the stream. Merrily, merrily, merrily,
10: merrily, 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 me. merrily but row, don't get a flat tire. <laughs> 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 We're not very good, Judge, but you got to admit we sure are loud. Hey, Penny, let's give another one of our extensive repertoire.
14: Jimmy, I don't think they want a floor show.
10: Sure they do. The judge is full of jokes. You should hear him when he talk to the Senate.
14: Well, he sure is fresh out of jokes on this ride. They haven't said a word. He or his wife.
10: Oh, uh, so maybe they got troubles. I'll cheer him up. Uh, Judge? Yes? Everyone was talking today about what Walter Cronkite said last Sunday about you being, um... Uh, you know, the dark horse for the court. All the pages were saying that they sure hope that you make it. Thank you. All the fellows were saying that you, Mrs. Wedney, would be the prettiest woman in Washington since Dolly Madison. Me, I said you'd be the prettiest one in history. Well, this sure is a sweet piece of machinery. You know, this car, uh, little foreign jobs are all right mechanically, but you give me something like this for a payload, I mean, comfortable and big enough to carry just about anything. Margaret... Did I say something funny? Margaret. Stop it.
8: For God's sake, stop
7: it.
14: Is that enough, operator? Okay.
10: I hope it's your mother that answers.
14: Oh, I'll say. Please, operator, just keep ringing. Oh, they're asleep, I bet.
10: That's your dad. He's looking for a gun. She's asleep Who? Oh, yeah, the judge's wife
14: It's nice of him to wait, I mean, with her not feeling well
10: I still can't figure it out Why all the hysterics?
14: Oh, she's sick, that's all Uh, Hello, Mother Yeah, I'm all right, we had a flat tire and Uh, Hello, Dad I know, I know Look, please listen, we had a flat tire and All right, all right, I'll put him on He wants to talk to you
10: Uh, Thanks a lot Hello, Mr. Craver. Yes, sir, nothing to worry about. We're here with Judge Whitney and his wife. Yeah. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, M- M- Mr. Craver, I've got to interrupt. It's starting to rain. Penny, don't stand there. Run for the car. I'll finish with your dad. All right.
14: Oh, wow, that's all I needed. Judge, are you sleeping, too? No. Look, Jimmy's talking to my dad. He'll be along in a minute. It was nice of you to wait for us. You know, with her not feeling well. Oh, gosh, I hate thunder.
10: Let me in, Penny. Come on, I'm getting soaked. Did you get my dad to understand? He yelled so much, I got a tin ear. Uh, Judge... Her father's coming here for us. Oh, no. I told him it was just a flat, but you know him. He said to stay put or he'll break my... No,
14: oh, yeah, that's my dad.
10: Wow, is it coming down. If you could wait just a couple of minutes longer, Judge, till the rain lets up... Oh,
14: my dad'll be here real soon.
10: Huh? What'd
12: she say? Get rid of him, Wendell.
10: Margaret, sleep.
12: Get sleep. rid of him, Wendell. Out of the trunk. <laughs>
8: boy tomorrow morning all washington will know that my wife was hysterical
12: is it morning
8: what yes dawn i hadn't realized
12: no need to hurry
8: anymore daylight i gotta get there before daylight
12: no need to hurry anymore margaret
8: please i know where i'm going now yes East Road.
12: He's around your neck.
8: All that happened, it doesn't matter. I know where to go. The
12: way he's been for 20 years.
8: What'd you say? Well, it doesn't matter. Here. This place will end it.
12: Around your neck.
8: The river. River. This is where I should have come in the first place. Road's always deserted. Water under the bridge is deep.
12: Don't go back there, Wendell.
8: What are you talking about? Don't go
12: back there. He'll get his hands on you. Never let you go. Drag you down. Stop it. Down. He's dead. Down.
8: Into the river and the nightmare will be over.
12: No. Don't go there.
8: Out of my mind. I'm trying to drive me out of mine. Keys. Yes. Yeah, so get you out of there, Henry, and it'll be over. 20 year nightmare. Over. The lid won't come open. Smattered. Jammed. Gotta get it open. Got to.
12: He's holding it, Wendy.
7: What? Who?
12: From the inside, holding it. I'll get rid of him for you.
7: What?
12: I'll get rid of him for
15: you.
8: Margaret! Get away from that wheel. Don't. Margaret, come back. Don't!
7: Margaret's <laughs>
6: How soon will they have that automobile out of the
4: water?
3: Well, they've just got the hook
4: on it, Captain. Any minute now.
6: Uh, all right, speed it up as much as you can. Right. The quarters are driving me nuts. You take a look at him. his wife's dead under the river, and they haven't got the decency to... Oh, I'll put a stop to it. All right, fellas, leave the judge alone. I told you that before. Oh, take it easy, Captain. The papers are full of the judge this morning, haven't you heard? The party's endorsed him all the way. All we want is a simple statement.
4: The man's in a state of shock, sitting here by the road ever since... Hey, look,
6: the crane's got the car. They're hoisting it up. Uh, She's in there, all right. Uh, Judge, please, uh, won't you make a statement, please? Statement? Yeah, what happened? How did it happen? Yeah. Yeah, I'll make a statement I tell you what, picture, I get out of
4: here.
8: It was raining. I I was driving fast. I ran over a woman. What? Old Mary Foley. But don't arrest me now. Please. I haven't time to stop now. Margaret's waiting for me at the church. You see, I'm on my way to get married.
5: The Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, Vicious Circles, was written, produced, and directed by Arch Obler. Your host was Vincent Price. Our stars were Fletcher Markle, Mary Jane Croft, and Vic Perrin. Featured in the cast were Marvin Miller, Byron Kane, Tommy Cook, Jack Crucian, Harley Bear, Carol Bilger, and Jack Carroll. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. The Elliott Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CBI.
12: This is Cicely Tyson. Join us
16: tomorrow when I'll have another story that illustrates one of love's many faces.
0: Well, that was the Mutual Radio Theater, as originally heard on Mutual Broadcast System, back on the 7th of May in 1980. The name of that uh, play was Vicious Circle, and it was written by Arch Obler, who was uh, well-known as a mystery writer and uh, just a very, very prolific writer. Interesting guy. I guess Arch Obler would have to be considered a born writer. He was born in 1909 and he sold his first script about an amorous dinosaur when he was still in high school. He was expelled from the University of Chicago due to his explosive personality. And once he was out of school, he dedicated himself to writing full-time and became interested in radio immediately. Obler wrote a script called Futuristics back in 1933, which was purchased by NBC. When Rudy Valley used a portion of one of Obler's works called Rich Kid, Obler suddenly became a household name. In 1936, Arch Obler was hired to replace Willis Cooper on Lights Out, and he took the series around a very dramatic turn. For one thing, he experimented with the boundaries of storytelling and sound effects. His first episode of Lights Out was titled Burial Services, And the show ended with a woman buried alive, never to escape. Well, letters flooded into the radio network from outrageous listeners protesting the way the show ended. Another famous show he did was one entitled Chicken Heart. This was on Lights Out. This was about a chicken heart that was being kept alive in a Petri dish. And it starts growing and eventually threatens to take over the entire world. I know, it sounds crazy. But uh, it ends up that Arch Obler had a big influence on Stephen King. And that particular show that we were just talking about, Chicken Heart, Bill Cosby, for years in one of his comedy routines, talked about how it just scared the bejabbers out of him when he was a little kid. And then, of course, there was the time that Obler used a wet rubber glove to create the sound of people's bodies being turned inside out due to a mysterious and deadly fog. Obler got into trouble again for writing the infamous Mae West and Donna Amici sketch that played out on the chase and Sanborn Hour. It was about Adam and Eve. It was just filled with a lot of sexual innuendo, and it outraged decency groups around the country. So much so, and the protests were so loud, that Mae West was banned from the radio network for 15 years. Obler, on the other hand, was not banned. And he wrote the script. Go figure. Anyway, very interesting character, Arch Obler.
17: knew a man Bojangles and he danced for you In worn out shoes Silver hair, ragged shirt and baggy pants The old soft shoe He jumps so high, jumped so high Then it lightly touched down Mr. Bojangles Mr. Bojangles Mr.
7: Bojangles Dance
17: I met him in a cell in New Orleans I was Down and out He looked to me to be the eyes of ages He spoke right out He talked about life, talked about life He laughed, slapped his leg and stepped He said the name Bojangles and he danced a lick Across the cell grabbed his pants and took a stance. And he jumped so high, he clicked his heels. He let go, a laugh, let go, a laugh. Shook his clothes all around. Mr. Bojango. Mr. Bojangles Mr. Bojangles
7: Dance He danced
17: for those at minstrel shows and county fairs Throughout the South Spoken tears of 15 years, I was dogging him. They traveled about. The dog up and died, he up and died. After 20 years, he still grieves. Said I dance now at every chance and honky tonks for drinks and tips. Most of the time I spend behind these county bars Cause I drink a so bit He shook his head now Shook his head I heard someone ask,
7: please
17: Mr. Jangles Mr. Jangles Hey, Mr. Bojangles,
0: dance! That was John Denver and Mr. Bojangles.
13: Something familiar. Something familiar. Something. For everyone, a
15: comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. <laughs> nothing with kings, nothing with crowns.
9: Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. No ah! oh, situation, no complications.
4: Nothing portentous or polite.
0: Good night. <laughs> well, on our comedy corner this week, we're going to uh, visit one of the famous families of the baby boom generation. That being Ozzie and Harriet Nelson. We have an episode that goes back to March the 27th, 1949. So here comes Ozzy, Harriet, David, and Ricky in an episode entitled Compliment. Here it comes.
11: America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate, presents the amusing transcribed Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard.
18: breakfast time at 1847 Rogers Road and the Nelson family. Now, let's see. Ozzie, Harriet, David, and Ricky. Yeah, they're all gathered around the breakfast table. Outside, the sky is blue, the sun is shining, and the birds are singing.
1: Yes, sir. A spring is really here. Look how blue the sky is, Harriet. And the little tree by the garage has buds on it.
19: Oh, look out the window, boys. There's a robin. Oh, yeah. I saw one yesterday, too, Mom.
1: Yes, sir, spring is
16: really here. Mom? Yeah? I dreamt I was a bird last night.
19: Oh, I've done that often. That's lots of fun. Were you flying around? No, I was eating worms.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, that's nice.
7: Can I have some more toast, Mom?
1: Apparently the worms weren't very filling.
20: <laughs> <laughs>
19: and here you are. Pass some more to Daddy, too. Oh, no, thanks,
1: Harriet. I'm fine. Mmm... <sighs> a wonderful breakfast. That milk was good and cold.
20: If you want some more milk, Pop, you can have mine.
1: No, thanks, David. You drink your milk.
20: Go ahead, Pop. I'll give David my milk.
1: I've never met two more generous boys when it comes to giving away milk. You guys want to be athletes and get big and strong? I think you ought to drink your milk.
16: That's what they say in school. Milk makes you big and strong. Vegetables make you big and strong. I'm getting tired of waiting.
7: (laughs) Yes, so am I. Drink
19: your milk. Oh, and David, remind me to give you some money so you can get a haircut today. Down over your
1: collar.
20: Do you really think milk makes you strong, Pop?
1: Well, sure I do. That's an accepted fact.
20: Some people drink goat's milk.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's a little too strong.
7: (laughs) Elephants are
20: big and strong, and all they eat is peanuts.
1: Oh, you've only seen captive elephants at the zoo, David, and the circus. You've never seen the ones that live in the jungle.
20: Do they drink milk?
1: I wouldn't be a bit surprised.
20: How's the milkman get to Africa?
7: (laughs) Well,
1: that's a good question. Harriet, would you like to answer that for Ricky? No, I'm like Ricky. I'd like to hear the answer. (laughs) As soon as I think of one, I'll tell you.
20: I'm all finished, Mom. Come on, Ricky. Pop? Yeah? Cats drink milk and they aren't very big.
1: Yeah, I know, Ricky, and I'm just as surprised as you are. Now go on out and play.
19: Would you like some more of anything?
1: Oh, no, thanks. She was a wonderful breakfast. Or did I tell you that?
19: Yes, you did, but it's nice to hear it again. Thank you, sir,
1: for the lovely compliment. The pleasure is mine. Huh? Yeah?
20: Do some people really talk like that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, of course, your mother and I, you just heard it. You see, Ricky, the coming of spring brings out the kindliness. They say nice things to each other.
7: Come on, Dopey, I'm waiting
11: for you. <laughs> Good morning, Oz. Hi, Thorny. I'll move over. Sit on, us. Who ever heard of spending a beautiful day like this on the front steps? Oh, I'm just conserving my strength for this afternoon. What's happening this afternoon? I'm going to walk around back and lie in the hammock.
1: (laughs) The trouble with you, Thorny, is you've got the old spring fever. Winter's gone and spring is here. That's
11: right. Any day now, you'll be returning our umbrella and borrowing the lawnmower.
7: (laughs) What
1: are you staring at, huh? Oh, I'm sorry, Thorny. I just couldn't help admiring that shirt you're wearing. Oh, well, thanks, huh? Really a good-looking shirt. Well, thanks again. Doesn't it make you feel good when somebody pays you a compliment? Sure, naturally. See, nothing but an old, frayed blue work shirt, half faded in spots, but I compliment you on it, and it makes you feel
11: good.
7: <laughs> well,
11: thanks once more. I like that dish towel you're wearing
1: too. <laughs>
7: I was merely pointing out
1: that a compliment on even an old shirt makes a person feel good. there's something about spring that makes people say nice things to people. And personally, I'm all for it. Well, good for you. For instance, I paid Harriet a little compliment. Small one, but very sincere. You should have seen her face light up. Made her happy, made me happy, started the whole day off right.
11: I'll bet I know what you told her. It was about her new hairdo, wasn't it? No, 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 no.
1: It was... No, it was something entirely different.
11: She is wearing her hair a new way, you know.
1: No, she isn't.
11: Oh, I thought you were more observant than that. She's been wearing her hair different for the past week. I'm surprised you haven't noticed it. When did you notice it? I didn't. My wife mentioned it. Uh I, uh, I hate to sound inquisitive, Oz, but what was the compliment you paid her?
1: Oh, it was really nothing important, Thorny. Just
11: a little thoughtfulness. Why, Oz, you're blushing! I am not, Thorny. Come on, you romantic devil! You tell me what it was. Stop tickling!
7: <laughs>
11: Honestly, Thorny, at times you act like a child. Oh, come on, Oz. You can tell your old pal Thorny. What did you say to her? Well, I, I
1: merely said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I told her that that uh, breakfast tasted very good. <laughs>
11: What's romantic about
7: that? I didn't say it was
11: romantic. I can imagine how disappointed she must have been. Well, she wasn't disappointed, Bonnie. She was very happy about it. Was. Was, please. Does that make sense? Look at it from her standpoint. Here she is with a new house dress. She gets up in the morning. The birds are singing. It's a beautiful day. All she needs to make it perfect is one little compliment from the man she loves. And what do you do? You tell her breakfast is very good this morning. <laughs> Matter of fact, it was just two soft boiled
1: eggs, a a glass of milk, and some toast.
11: What's so great about that?
1: Come to think of it, the toast was burned a little.
11: (laughs) And the worst part of it
1: is, Harriet looked unusually pretty this morning. There were any number of personal compliments
10: I could have paid her.
1: Oh, why don't you come right out and say what you're thinking? Why don't you tell me to go back in the house and pay her a real compliment? If
11: you want me to be honest about it, that's exactly what I was thinking. You don't think I'll sound like a silly, romantic fool, do you? Of course not. Every woman enjoys a sincere, personal compliment. You just told me how pretty she looked. Why not tell her? Thorny,
1: that's just exactly what I'm going to do. And right now,
11: too.
20: Mother. It's a lovely day, isn't
19: it? I was just going to say the same thing. I guess spring is here. We had the same old eggs and toast this morning, and Ozzie said it was a wonderful breakfast.
20: Oh, well, you have to overlook those little things, Harriet. Maybe he just felt a little grumpy this
7: morning. (laughs) Oh, no, no.
19: He really meant it, Mother.
20: Now, the reason I've called is we're having a raffle over at the church, and I was wondering... I hate to interrupt, Mother, but I'm sure Ozzie
19: really enjoyed the breakfast. Oh, I That's all Ozzy ever wants.
20: Well, you probably think that's all you know how to make. The second prize is a new dress from Andre's. Would you care to buy a couple of tickets, dear? There are quite a few other prizes, too. Mm.
19: Yes, I'll take a couple, Mother.
20: Harriet, you sound worried.
19: Well, frankly, I am now.
20: Oh, Harriet, don't be silly. I've got most of the tickets sold already. So stop worrying about it.
19: I was thinking about breakfast. Bye, mother. What's wrong with eggs and toast? Harriet,
7: how
1: beautiful you look!
7: I can't hear you. I say, how
1: beautiful you look!
7: Just a minute.
19: Now, what did you say?
1: Well, I, I, I just said, how beautiful you look. Your hair and your eyes.
19: Well, I'm cleaning. I can't help it if my hair gets in my eyes. <laughs>
1: No, no, it, it looks wonderful, very attractive. You're wearing your hair a new way, aren't you? Uh, what do they call that kind of hairdo?
19: It's called tied up for house cleaning. Oh, Harriet! 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 I'm trying to get this room cleaned up. What is it?
1: I just want to tell you what an attractive dress you have on. Looks lovely on you.
19: It's just an old house dress. What do you expect? I'm cleaning.
1: Yes, but honestly, dear, on you, it looks like a, a, a formal evening gown.
19: Well, that's a fine thing to say.
1: What?
19: My formal evening gown looks like an old house dress.
7: <laughs>
1: uh, Harriet, you aren't listening. I said you look wonderful. I'm trying to pay you a compliment. Doesn't matter what you're wearing. You'd even look good in an old potato bag.
19: Ozzie, if you don't like my new gray tweed suit, why didn't you tell me when
1: I bought it? I wasn't even thinking about your gray suit. It's your evening gown that looks like an old house dress. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start again. That's a good idea. Let's go back to breakfast. Exactly what
19: didn't you like about
1: it? Breakfast? It was wonderful.
19: Well, then why were you so sarcastic about
1: it? Well, I wasn't sarcastic about it. I enjoyed breakfast very much. I just shouldn't have complimented you on it. I, I should have thought of something else. But you just said you really liked it. Well, it was delicious. But what was it? Toast and two boiled
7: eggs?
1: <laughs> and the toast was a little burned. I... I... I could have thought of something more romantic to comment on. Your eyes, for instance. They make you think of two boiled
7: eggs?
1: (laughs) Harriet, now wait a minute. We've come to one of those silly little misunderstandings. It happens in every marriage. Fortunately, we both have the intelligence to slow down and straighten things out. (laughs) Apparently, you misinterpreted what I was trying to say. Well, I just... No, no, please, Harriet. I've sincerely tried to compliment you. You've evidently misunderstood me. Now I can do one of two things. Walk out of the house with a shrug and wait till you cool off a bit. Or explain clearly how the misunderstanding started. Now, we had just finished breakfast. It wasn't an unusual breakfast... In fact, it was the same old boiled eggs and toast that was burnt (laughs) to a
7: crisp.
1: However, I made a sarcastic... No, 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 no. Let me go at this a different way. Right after breakfast,
7: I happen to say to you... I have I'll see you later. What? I'll see you later, I said...
19: Ozzy, please, let's not shout at each other. (laughs)
7: Let's try
19: to act civilized. Now, what
13: were you saying? Uh, I'll see you later. I think I'll walk out with a shrug and be back later.
7: Okay. Uh, Thorny. Back here, Oz.
11: Oh, oh, you got the hammock out after all, huh? Yeah, what a life. I've been lying here dreaming I'm on a tropical island. <laughs>
1: it may interest you to know, Thorny, that the advice you gave me didn't work. I told Harriet how beautiful she was, and she practically ran me out of the house. Oh,
11: I wouldn't worry about it, Oz. All women are a little unreasonable at times. She was probably busy or preoccupied or something. How was she doing? Well, she was cleaning the living room.
1: Yeah, that might have had something to do with it. I don't imagine any woman is too happy when she's house cleaning.
11: Oh, of course. That explains the whole thing. Just like my wife. When she's got a lot of house cleaning to do, she gets awfully unreasonable. Wants me to help her.
1: I don't know why I keep asking for your silly advice,
11: but what do you think I ought to do? You've got nothing to worry about. Just go back in the house. By now, she's had a chance to think it over, and she'll be all apologies. Uh, You say that, Thorny, but are you sure? Am I sure? This is how sure I am, Oz. And believe me, this takes courage. Go ahead, I'm listening. If Harriet isn't sorry... If she doesn't throw her arms around you and give you a big kiss, I will.
7: (laughs) You. You. I love you. I love you too, Pop.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Ricky, I I didn't see you there. Uh, Where's your mother? Do you know?
16: went downtown. Went
1: downtown? Oh, that's strange.
16: He left a note for you on the table.
1: A note? Oh, yeah, I see it. Barney was right, I guess. Probably apologizing. (laughs) Sorry to walk out on you, but I have a date with a handsome man.
20: Hmm. Is it funny, Pop? (laughs) Uh,
1: Yes, it is, uh, in a way.
20: What does it say?
1: Well, she says, sorry to walk out on you, but I have a date with a, a handsome man. <laughs> you see, that's kind of funny.
20: I don't get it. Who's a handsome
16: man?
1: Well, uh, we don't know. You see, uh, that's the joke.
16: I still don't get it.
1: Well, uh, come in, Thorny. uh Oh, hello, Thorny. I'll explain it later, Ricky. What is that? Uh... <laughs> Thorny, I'm glad to tell you, you are absolutely right. Harriet's really in a good mood, even trying to pull my leg a little.
11: Here, read this note. I see it. Mm, sorry to walk
1: on. Mm. <laughs> what do you think of that?
11: <laughs> oh, I wouldn't worry about it, Oz. Maybe she's just kidding. Well, of course, that's what I just said. Handsome man. I'll bet the guy's no better looking than you are.
7: <laughs> Thorny, this note
11: is just a joke. Well, I hope you didn't think I was serious. She's kidding, of course. It's like that old poem, The Handsomer Man. The wife leaves a note saying she's out with a handsomer man. Guy turns out to be her father. Thorny, that's it. Well, sure, she's probably out with her father, and here you are worried. Oh, I wasn't worried.
1: (laughs) Out with her father. I should have known. I don't think I've ever met her father, Oz. No, he lives in Des Moines, Iowa. (laughs) And how could Harriet be out with him? What I mean is, well, it's something like that. Yeah, maybe he? it's
11: her uncle. Or her cousin. Or just some handsome stranger.
1: Wait a minute. Of course she's out with David. She took him down to the barber shop for a haircut. You really think so? Oh, this morning at breakfast, she said David needed a haircut. You see, David's the handsome man. Oh. A date with a handsome man, and it's
7: David. <laughs> Hi, Pop. Hello, David. Harry's right, got quite a sense of humor. She, yeah, she sure has. <laughs> Wipe your feet, David. What's the joke, Pop?
1: It's your mother, David. You see, she's down at the barbershop getting you a hair... <laughs> I
7: don't get that one either, Pop. <laughs>
1: Look, why don't you boys go out in the kitchen and, and eat some cookies or drink some Coca Cola? Uh, Mr. Thornberry and I want to talk. Say, maybe that's Harriet now. Hello, Harriet? No, this
20: is Mother. Grandma is Oh, hello, Graham. Did Harriet get back yet? Uh, no, she isn't here. Do you know where she went? What well, didn't she tell you? She phoned Pierre and made a date for 3 o'clock. Pierre?
1: Pierre who? Oh, Pierre's beauty shop. That's where she is.
20: I Five free beauty treatments on our raffle. Isn't that wonderful?
1: Well, for goodness sakes. You know, our neighbor, Mr. Thornberry, he was worried sick, just wondering where Harriet had come <laughs> <laughs> You know, he, he's such an inquisitive guy.
20: Oh, Mr. Thornberry,
1: does he
7: know his wife won a prize, too? She did? Yes. Yeah. She won the dress at Andre's.
1: Catherine Thornberry, good for her. What happened to her, Oz? She ran off with the milkman. <laughs> Oh, don't look so worried. I'm kidding. What
7: did you say, Graham?
20: I say, have Harriet call me when she gets in. I'll hang up now. I don't want to run
7: over time. You're probably calling from a booth. Goodbye. Goodbye, Graham.
1: Thorny, we've got the two luckiest wives in town. Yeah, we know that, Oz, but do they know it? No, No, listen to this. Harriet's mother sold them some raffle tickets, and they both won prizes. Catherine won a new dress at Andre's, and Harriet won
11: some free beauty treatments at Pierre's beauty shop. So Pierre's the handsome man Harriet has a date with. That's, how about that? That silly-looking Pierre. Harriet sure has a
1: peculiar idea on what a handsome man looks like. i wanted to say that for years, but I thought you'd be i a... <laughs>
7: I'll
11: see you later. I want to be home when Catherine gets back with the new dress. This will be a surprise to her. The first time I've ever noticed a new dress. You know, Harriet's going to expect a compliment, too.
1: But she'll have to fish for one after leaving me that note. (laughs) Handsome man. That's
11: wonderful. (laughs) Harriet probably thought that note would worry you. Probably did. Isn't that just like a woman? Just like a woman. How do they always hit it so right?
1: Oh, hello, dear. Did you miss me? Miss you? Oh, have you been out?
19: Well, yes, I have.
1: You know, I knew there was something missing around here, but I couldn't figure out what it was.
19: Well, didn't you get my note? Note? What? The-
1: oh, Milkman, two quarts of milk and a pint of cream. Yes, well, I got out there. Here it is on there. the
19: desk. Read it.
1: in the world can this be? I'm sorry to walk out on you. But I have a date with a handsome man. Oh, that's cute. Isn't it a shame I didn't notice? But I've gotten a big laugh out of this, Hey, just you? a
19: minute. I left that note on the table. How did it get on the desk?
1: <laughs> I've teased you long enough. <laughs> I read the note. And you didn't even get jealous? Oh, well, of course I did, and I was plenty
11: worried, too.
19: Oh, now I know you're kidding. Were you teasing me when you didn't notice something? Something different about me? Right now?
11: Okay.
1: My little joke is over, so I'll tell you. Harriet, you look wonderful.
19: Do you really like it?
1: Like it? It's beautiful. It's the most unusual way of doing your hair. Let's see it from the side. Oh, it's perfect. That Pierre certainly knows his business.
19: How did you know about Pierre?
1: Oh, with well, your mother, call? But that has nothing to do with my compliment. The minute you walked in, I couldn't help but notice it. It's beautiful. You really look glamorous.
19: Oh, thank you, dear. I'm glad you're so observant. Did you know that Catherine Thornberry won the dress at Andres?
1: Wasn't that nice? You'll have to excuse me for going on like this, Harriet, but your hair, I can't get
10: over it.
19: Well, maybe this will help you. Catherine and I traded prizes. I got the
1: dress and she took the beauty treatment.
7: (laughs) Well,
1: imagine that. (laughs) Well, then how should I know you always look like you've just come from the beauty shop? (laughs) That
19: was very nicely done.
1: I thought so. (laughs) (laughs) After all the dress box under your arm, I I, I should have known. Uh, Let's see it. Here you are. See, you just think I'm not observant. I saw this package the minute you came in. Oh. Harriet, this is really
19: beautiful. Honestly, do you really think so? Oh,
1: yes. Will you put it on? I'd love to see you in it. You've seen me in
19: it for the past year.
1: I'm wearing the
19: new dress.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Harriet,
1: there's one thing I want you to believe. What's that? Breakfast this morning really was
7: delicious. (laughs)
1: Uh-oh. Something wrong? <laughs> Poor Thorny. He thinks Catherine got the new dress. Well, maybe I can still warn him. I'll be right back.
19: Uh, Ozzie, wait a minute. I think Thorny's already complimented Catherine.
1: Why do you say that?
19: Well, look out the back window. See? You can just see his head sticking out of the doghouse. <laughs>
1: There's just one thing I don't get. If you went to Andre's and not to Pierre's, who was the handsome man in the note?
19: Well, you see, I originally intended to go to Pierre's, but I met Catherine Thornbury downtown and we decided to swap prizes.
1: And you mean to say that you really think that Pierre is handsome?
19: Very nice looking. Hand me one of those curlers.
1: Here you are. Well... Don't you think he overdoes it with those waves that he puts in his hair?
19: I think it looks very good.
1: I know, but a man with a permanent wave. Not very manly.
19: Hand me another curler.
1: What a thing for a man to have. Do you like my hair?
19: Mm-hmm. Hand me another curler.
1: <laughs> my hair is wavy, but, but it isn't Marceled or whatever you
19: uh-huh. Hand me another curler.
1: For goodness sakes, Harriet, don't take them all, save a couple for me.
11: Tune in again next week to another adventure of Ozzie and Harriet, starring Ozzy Nelson and Harriet Hilliard.
19: And remember, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. Yes, Harriet,
1: America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers.
6: The preceding program was transcribed. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
0: That was The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, as originally heard on NBC back on the 27th of March in 1949. They were soon to go over to ABC, and of course, that's where their television show uh, spent many, many years, too. Ozzie Nelson and Harriet, very interesting backgrounds. Ozzie was a band leader for many years, and Harriet was a singer. She sang with a number of different uh, orchestras, or or bands, excuse me, and... uh, eventually they teamed up she sang for ozzie and in 1940s after they got married she would prefer, by the way for many years was known as harriet hilliard uh, professionally even after they were married it would be uh, you know she would be singing as harriet hilliard but after they got married and started raising a family ozzie began to look for ways to spend more time with his family especially his growing sons now, besides band appearances, he and Harriet had been regulars on the Raleigh cigarette program starring Red Skelton. After some success there, Ozzie developed and produced his own radio show, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, and the show went on the air first in 1944. Their sons were played by different actors until the year that we just heard, 1949. Then in 1952, the show started on television in which David and Ricky appeared on camera. Meantime, the radio version continued on for another two years. The show starred the entire family, and America followed along as Ozzie and Harriet raised their boys. And I can remember that in our household. I can remember when David and Ricky were uh, much younger. Of course, they were older than, than I was. So I think Ricky was about my sister's age, and uh, David was a little older. So I don't, uh, don't remember them when they were small, although I've seen them in reruns. But I remember when they were young, and then I remember when Ricky became a teenager. And I remember when Ricky became a singer, and every uh, week at the end of the television show, they would feature Ricky usually singing a song. Ozzie was the producer and director of most of the episodes of both the radio and the television show, and he co-wrote many of them. Uh, Ozzy also had his brother involved, Don Nelson, who was also one of the writers. And uh, Ozzy Nelson was considered very hands-on. They said he was a very good businessman. But he was uh, responsible for just about every aspect of the radio and TV programs, and he was also responsible for launching Ricky's singing career. It's notable, though, that throughout the 1950s, when this show was most popular on television and on radio, but particularly on television, Even though he was promoting Ricky, Ozzy's band-leading experience and Harriet's experience as a singer were were never really mentioned. In fact, as a baby boomer, I was surprised later on in life when I learned that Ozzy and Harriet had previously been professional musicians. I just didn't know it. I just thought they were David and Ricky's mom and dad.
13: be anyone else but you For me Never ever be Just couldn't be anyone else but you If I could take my pick of all the girls I've ever known Then I'd come and pick you out To be my very own There'll never be anyone else but you For me, never ever be, just couldn't be anyone else but you. A heart that's true and longs for you, is all I have to give. All my love belongs to you, as long as I may live. There'll never be anyone else but you, for me be, just couldn't be anyone else but you, I never will forget the way you kiss me, and when we're not together, I wonder if you miss me, cause I hope and pray the day will come when you belong to me, that I'm gonna. How true my love can be There'll never be anyone else but you For me Never ever be Just couldn't be anyone else but you party to reminisce with my old friends a chance to share old memories and play our songs again when i got to the garden party they all knew my name but no one recognized me i didn't look the same but it Learned my lesson well You see you can't please everyone So you got to please yourself People came from miles around Everyone was there Yoko brought a walrus There was magic in the air And over in the corner Much to my surprise Mr. Hughes, hidden Dylan's shoes, wearing his disguise. But it's all right now, I learned my lesson well. You see, you can't please everyone, so you got to please yourself. La-da-da, la da 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 Played them all the old songs Thought that's why they came No one heard the music We didn't look the same I said hello to Mary Lou She belongs to me And I sang a song about a honky-tonk It was time to leave But it's all right now Learn my lesson well. You see, you can't please everyone, so you got to please yourself. La da da, La, da 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 da. La, da, da da da. Someone opened up a closet door and out stepped Johnny be Good. Playing guitar like a ring and a bell And looking like you should You gotta play at garden parties I wish you a lot of luck But if memories were all I sang I'd rather drive a truck But it's alright now I learned my lesson well You see you can't please everybody so you got to please yourself. La da da. And it's all right now. Yeah. Learn my lesson well. You See you can't please
7: everyone, so you got to please yourself.
0: Well, there was two Rick Nelson songs, one of his earliest ones. There'll never be anyone else but you for me, and of course, garden Party," which was one of his later ones. Ricky Nelson <laughs> now oh. smoke. Ah oh, yeah. That music takes us right back to Dodge City, Kansas in 1874. We are walking up dusty, dirty Front Street, walking shoulder to shoulder next to Marshal Matt Dillon. We are upholding law and order in this babylon of the West. We have a good episode tonight. This one was originally broadcast on the 4th of December in 1955, and we have never played it on Boomer Boulevard before. I don't know why, but we're going to correct that tonight. It's entitled Sunny Afternoon. It has great sound quality, and here it comes.
2: It was the worst winter we'd ever had in Dodge, the worst one I'd ever seen anywhere on the plains. It had been a short summer with the rain starting a month early and turning to snow and sleet before the end of September. And from then on, it was one blizzard right after another, roaring down off the flat basin, freezing the creeks and the ponds, and piling up snow in the gullies. Stock suffered, and men suffered. And it got so nobody in town would to do anything or go anywhere, unless there was some reason they just had to. It was a winter that started out cold, and it kept getting colder. One of the few places in town where a man could go to get warm was the Long Branch. They had a big pot-bellied stove there that would take four-foot chunk of cottonwood. Most nights they kept it red hot.
16: Matt, you want to know a secret?
2: Yeah, sure, Kitty. What is it?
16: I'm in love with a man who invented woolen underwear. You? <laughs>
2: Under that?
16: You're darn right. Don't let the dress fool you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it can't do much good. About as big as a saddle blanket for a cotton oh, tail.
16: In this weather, anything helps. How about a drink, Matt?
2: Well, I was kind of waiting around for Doc, Kitty, but I guess that baby of Miss Tucker's turning out to be pretty stubborn.
16: The Tucker's? Another one? Uh-huh. If you were a man, you'd wear a gun. Well, it started out to be a I quiet evening.
2: You. Oh, it's Ned Crater and old, old man, man Sidroy here.
16: I, I think it's just oh, a talking fight.
2: No, you Kitty, this one's due. It's been building for a week now. I'll see you later.
21: Uh-huh. If you ain't scared, why don't you borrow a gun? Anybody in here will loan you one. They'll be glad to see you called for once. You're yellow, Josh. You're mean, dirty, and you're All yellow. All right,
2: Crater, you've had your say now. Well, How do
21: you feel, Marshal? How would you feel about it if you was in my place?
2: Probably the same way you do, but this kind of talk's not going to help you any. Now, why don't you take a walk? Go have a drink somewhere else. Oh, huh?
21: sure. While that old skin print stands... Crater, there, I, Crater I said and... take a walk. I'll get... All right, Marshal. That was well handled, Marshal. You
22: join me for a drink?
2: No, thank you. Sidro, what makes you like you are?
22: I don't believe I understand you.
2: Joshua Sidro, the meanest man in town. Do you like being thought of that way?
22: I'm not much concerned, Marshal, one way or another. A prudent and successful man's always envied, maligned by fools like Ned Crater.
2: That hay barn of yours is full to the roof. You got five times what you need to hold your stock through the winter. Crater's on a ragged edge, he's desperate. A couple of loads are probably carry him. and you wouldn't even miss it.
22: Well, the hay's for sale.
2: Oh, yeah, sure,
22: and twice what it's worth. The thing is worth whatever you can sell it for, Marshal. He's no better than the other nesters. They're buying from me. They must got cash.
2: It's his first year on the land. He's got no cash and no credit. You know that.
22: And he should have been more industrious. Shown some foresight.
2: He was caught short by the early rains, the same as the rest of the... Now, what's the use? You know, Joshua, someday you're gonna end up being the richest man on Boot Hill.
22: Well, Ned Crater will never put me there.
2: He might. He's worked up enough.
22: Yeah, he's like all failures. Talks big and does small. He's a fool. And I'll be here long after he starved to death. <laughs>
21: Goodness, Mr. Dillon, the more wood you chunk into this cussed
22: stove, the less heat it seems to give
21: off.
2: That's a cold morning, Chester. Throw some buffalo
22: chips in. Yes, and burn out the grapes again. This jailhouse can't afford a halfway decent stove in weather like this. Well, forevermore. Look there. Look who's up bright and early this morning.
2: Huh? Uh, Joshua's side rope.
22: Mm. Leading the pack horse. Maybe he's going to pull out, Mr. Dillon. That's
2: wishful thinking, Justin. I wonder why he's coming here.
22: Marshal! Marshal Dillon!
2: Well, I guess there's only one way to get it over with. Marshal! Yeah, Joshua?
22: I brought in the body of my son, Jebel. He was murdered during the night. <laughs>
2: I took young Jabel's body up to Doc's office and he went to work on it... to see what he could find out for me. Chester and I waited in the ante room. And old Joshua told us what had happened.
22: I had Jabel staying up every night this week... keeping watch on the barn, same as last night. That had Hayes valuable, and I didn't aim to lose it.
2: Yeah, you didn't wake up during the night, you didn't hear anything.
22: Huh? A clear conscience makes a sound sleeper, Marshal. Jabel wasn't around this morning... I thought he must be out in the barn doing his chores... About 7.30, I went out to the barn looking for him. lock was broke off the door. Finally, I found him laying there in the barnyard, covered with snow that fell during the night.
2: Any uh, hay missing?
22: No. I figured after they shot Jable, he got scared and ran off. Matt.
21: It's pretty hard to tell much. It was colder and blue blazes last night. The bodies froze stiff. I got the bullet, though. It was a rifle of some kind. Wasn't any six-gun. Marshal...
22: If you have no more questions, I'll go and make arrangements for a coffin. Yeah, sure, go ahead.
2: Now, Joshua. Huh? I, uh... I'm
22: sorry about your boy. I don't regard sentimentality as being a function of law. It's not sympathy I want. It's retribution. Good day. Mean, mean. That is the one meanest man I ever seen. It's too bad it kicked back on Bolo.
21: He was a good boy, Matt. He was warm-hearted and generous. He was nothing like that old man.
2: Yeah, I know, Doc. How do you figure it, Mr. Dillon? And I'm afraid there's only one way to figure it, Jesse. All right, let's settle up. We'll go out and get Crater.
7: Crater. <laughs>
0: Sign of life, Mr. Dillon.
2: Now there's smoke coming out of the chimney.
0: Yeah.
16: Well, Marshal Dillon, Chester, come in.
2: Thank you, ma'am.
16: <clears throat> Morning, Miss Grater. Huh? I'll pour you some coffee. Uh,
2: we're kind of pushed for time, ma'am. Is, uh, is Ned here?
16: No, it's just me and the young'un.
2: Huh? Uh, you know where he is?
16: No, I don't, Marshal Dillon. He's been gone since last night. Hitched up the big wagon, took the four mules and his saddle horse and left. Uh, here. Ah, thank you,
3: ma'am.
7: Thank you. Uh,
2: he, uh, didn't tell you where he was going,
16: huh? No, he just said he wasn't going to sit around while the stock died of starvation and, and me and the young young'un went hungry, no matter what it costs. He... He said if he wasn't back in five days, I was to sell out and go home to my folks. I don't understand what he meant.
2: Well, there's no use reaching for trouble to the gets here, man.
16: Well, somebody told him yesterday about a camp of Kiowa Indians out toward Badger Crossing. I thought maybe he was going to try to find them and borrow some hay from them, maybe. But I, I don't know. And with this blizzard fixing to hit... I'm worried, Marshal.
2: Oh, he'll probably be back by tonight, ma'am. Tomorrow morning anyway. How's the boy?
16: Oh, well, he's been a little croupy all week, but I I guess in this kind of weather you have to expect that.
2: Sure. Half the kids in Dodge have got a touch of it. Well, we better be riding on, Miss Crater.
16: Well, I'll tell Ned you was here. Yeah,
2: you do that, will you? And thank you very much for the coffee. Bye. Goodbye.
16: Bye.
21: Ugh. What do you think, Mr. Jones? I
2: don't know, Chester.
21: Them Kiowas
4: don't do much loaning.
2: No, but they'll trade. He didn't get any hay at the side, Rose.
4: You
22: figure he went on the Badger Crossing?
2: Well, there's only one way to find out. The storm really hit us a couple of hours out. blinding snow on a cold driving wind. The trail was already a foot deep and it got worse... The horses didn't like the going and kept trying to tail off to the wind. Times it got so bad we had to take shelter in a coulee and wait it out for a while. When it came dark, we hadn't made over eight or ten miles. And after all that trouble, we still come pretty close to missing
11: it. Did you
21: hear something, Mr. Dillon?
2: I'm not sure, Chester, but pull up. Yeah, but whatever it was, it came from over there toward the creek bank.
21: Sure sounded
2: to me Help! like... Th-
21: that's what it is. It's somebody yelling.
2: Yeah, it's down that way. Come on.
7: Help! Over here!
2: Over! Watch out for that bank, Chester. I
7: see it. oh
9: There he is, Mr. Dillon. His wagon is down in the creek.
2: Yeah, it's Ned Crater's rig. He's broke through the ice, bogged down.
21: Give me a hand here.
2: Cut those mules loose and get them out of there, Crater, before you lose them along with the wagon.
21: They can pull out all right, but if I leave the box here, loose the lines, they'll founder. Ride into the water, Marshal. Grab the lead mules, halter, and get them straight. They'll pull out. All right.
2: That water's freezing, Mr. Dillon. Well, it's not going to get any warmer before April. Come on, Chester. All right, keep the lines tight, Crater. Yeah, I know. All right, get around there, you.
21: Come on. Just go straight. That's it. Hey, Yeah, come on. That's it.
7: Just pull it. Watch that off, you, Get
21: there! I told you they'd pull in.
7: Oh, now?
21: Oh. Well, Marshal, what the devil are you doing clear we'll out here? We'll talk
2: about it later. Kick some wood out from under that snow and let's got a fire going before we freeze to death.
21: I sure wasn't aiming to lose that load of hay, Marshal. <laughs> well, you just about did in that crate.
2: Where'd you get it, Crater?
21: A band of Kiowas back at Badger Crossing. I traded them my saddle pony.
2: Now, that pinto mare, has a lot of horse for a load of hay.
21: Well, what are you going to do when you ain't got a choice?
2: That argument you got into with old Joshua's side row, What started it, Crater?
21: Well, that boy of his, young Gable, stopped by our place a couple of days ago... Told me he'd see to it I got at least one load of hay. Then when I run into old Joshua in the long branch and told him about it, he just laughed. You old devil. He said the kid was out of his mind that he didn't have no more authority around the place than the other cow hand.
2: You got your rifle with you? Uh,
21: yeah, sure.
2: I'd like to take a look at it.
21: All right. I don't guarantee what condition it's in. have I've been so plain busy, I ain't had time to do nothing right. Here, here you are. Thanks.
2: All yeah. right. Where'd you claim this gun last?
21: Well, a couple of weeks back. I told you it was in pretty bad shape.
2: Couldn't be much worse. I wouldn't try to fire it till I got the rust out of that barrel.
21: Marshal, what's all this about?
2: J-Bull's side row was found lying dead in the barn lot this morning. He'd been shot.
21: So that's what you're doing out this way? Yeah,
2: that's
22: it, Craig. Well,
21: Marshal, if... It... If you figure I killed Jabo Sidrow for this load of hay. You're wrong. I'd do most anything to keep my stock from starving, but not that. Not killing. I know. Then you're not arresting me? No. Well, I figured you thought that I, I did at
2: first, Crater. That's why we rode out to find you. But I guess you couldn't have shot him. Not with your rifle in that condition.
21: You mean that I can go home?
2: Yeah. And Chester and I'll give you a hand with a wagon.
21: Thanks, Marshal. Well, after we get Crater home, what are we going to do, Mr. Dillon?
2: Have a look at a barn full of hay, Chester.
10: I can sure think of a lot of things I'd rather... Do you than go prowling around old Joshua's barnyard in the middle of the night?
2: This won't take long, Chester.
10: No, but it won't take long for a man to freeze out here.
2: A man did freeze out here. Right about here, in fact.
22: What are you doing with that gun, Mr. Dillon? I thought we was being quiet. What are you going to shoot at?
2: Well, the moon makes as good a target as anything. So...
22: That made enough racket to raise it dead.
2: I hope you're right.
22: Hold it right where you are. i got a rifle on you.
2: All right, calm down, Joshua. It's Matt Dillon.
22: Marshall, what's the meaning of this?
2: What's happened to that clear conscience of yours, Joshua? You're not sleeping as sound as you claim you were night before last. I thought somebody was after my hay. Uh, who'd you have in mind? I don't know. That's what I come out to see. Shot woke me up. It didn't night before last. The shot or the dogs. None of it woke you up.
22: Well, what happens once don't have to happen the same way
2: again. No. In fact, some things can't happen the same way again.
22: What do you mean, Marshal?
2: When you only got one son, you can only kill him once. Now, what was it, Joshua? An argument? Did he finally stand up on his feet and defy
22: you? No. No, you're wrong,
9: Marshal.
2: You know, you're the only man in Dodge with a lock on his barn. You tell me something. Did Jabal have a key to it? No, he didn't. And what made you think he was out there at his chores yesterday morning when he didn't even have a key to get into the barn? All right.
22: I shot him. He was a thief. He was your own son. I caught him in the middle of the night, breaking into the barn. He was going to take a load of hay to the crater. Give it to him, mind you. He ignored my orders, cursed me, and I shot him. He's the same as any other common thief.
2: Jury will see it that way. I wouldn't count on it, Joshua. All right, now, give me the rifle. Give it to me. All
22: right, let's go. Wait a minute. I got a nail up that door. I can't leave it open. I got valuable hay in that barn. Don't worry about it, Joshua. The neighbors will take care of it for you.
2: Now, come on.
18: William Conrad.
2: You know, land was cheap on the frontier because there was so much of it. Yet on our next gun smoke, a man is killed over a few acres. But that was the West. Good night.
18: Gunsmoke, produced and directed by Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. The special music for Gunsmoke was composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast were Ralph Moody, John Daner, and Virginia Christine. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNair is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Christmas seals give your cards and packages that holiday look. Help fight tuberculosis buy and use Christmas seals. Join us again next week for another specially transcribed story as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke.
0: Gunsmoke. That one was first broadcast on CBS back on the 4th of December in 1955 and it was entitled Sunny Afternoon. And of course like every week we will have another episode of Gunsmoke next time we get together.
15: Strawberries, cherries and an angel's kiss in spring. My summer wine the time, and I will give to you summer wine, oh, summer
7: wine.
23: My eyes grew heavy and my lips, they could not speak. I tried to get up, but I couldn't find my assured me with an unfamiliar line and then she gave to me more summer wine oh oh, summer wine
15: strawberries cherries and an angel's kissing spring my summer wine is Strawberries, cherries, and an angel's kissing spring. My summer wine is real.
0: That's going to kick things in the head for another week. We will be back next week with our archive show. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new show. And we look forward to seeing you then. Maybe the sun will be shining then. Maybe the sun will be shining then. Chester, any of those candy canes left? No, of course not. Any, uh, Nothing. <laughs> Every, well you folks did a great job you just you finished it up and that's that's what we wanted you to do all right everybody this is bob bro i am so glad you stopped by and i am so glad you met me stay warm stay dry see you next time bye-bye